Hey, all you rad dads out there. Welcome to another episode of the Rad Dad Show. Today we speak to father of two, Dave Carlo, from Canadian thrash legends Razor. We talk to him about encouraging our kids to follow their passions, the pressures our kids have growing up, and his advocacy with his son who has autism. So go grab yourself a drink, find yourself a comfy chair, and turn this up to 11. First question, welcome to the Rad Dad Show. Introduce yourself to the listeners out there. Okay, so I'm Dave Carlo. I'm a um, heavy metal musician from uh, Guelph, Ontario. It's a Toronto area, basically. And uh, my band is called Razor. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we've we been enjoying a fairly a fairly decent wave of uh, popularity here the last uh, few years. So we're, we're capitalizing on that. A lot of time uh, spent... Um, uh, traveling and um, a lot of the, the 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 travel is of the in and out nature where we fly out and do a festival or an event and then we fly back and a lot of the reason we do that has a lot to do with um, parenting style and and commitment to our family so um, it's been uh, it's been a real uh, real interesting uh, last few years as far as uh, my uh, you know my career activities go I have two kids. I have a, a son who is uh, autistic. He is now 20 years old. I have a daughter who is 19. She just turned 19. Um, and uh, she also has some mental health issues as well. And uh, I, you know, speak openly about those uh, issues uh, with the encouragement of my kids. They are uh, not, uh, you know, uh, adverse to me having these discussions or talking openly about them. In fact, they they like it. They think it's good to promote mental health awareness to do that. Oh, that's great. No, uh, we could, we've, uh, one of our guests, uh, a friend of mine, Chris, he plays in, in a local band here. He's a drummer and, and he's also, he was a, a Bell media advocate for um, their mental mental health campaign. And mm-hmm. so he's uh, pretty vocal about that too. And so we had him on the show and we kind of did a little campaign around that and uh, yeah, we, we kind of support those initiatives. And uh, again, me being a school teacher, I think it's really important to to get uh, to educate people. I guess uh, it certainly is, no doubt, no doubt. So, so thank you for for being that. We, we'll we'll kind of maybe try to touch on that. So, first question, uh, you know, aside from the intro here, do you consider yourself a rad dad? Uh, well, you know, it's it's a little, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for. Maybe I'm. Uh, uh, sounding like I'm a little full of myself, but I would have to say that I do. I do consider myself a rad dad. I uh, pride myself greatly on my devotion to my kids. I've uh, always been very devoted to them, taking an active interest in, in uh, helping them uh, grow up and helping them turn into the fantastic people they are now. Um, so, yeah, I, I will call myself a rad dad arrogantly, I guess. But uh, No, it's yeah, not It's not arrogance. It's it's don't don't say that. It's not an ego thing. It's not arrogance. It's being proud. I love that. Okay, so. Yeah, very much proud. Very much proud. And I asked my kids, by the way, about that question before I did this podcast. I said, do you guys think I'm a rad dad? And, of course, my son right away being autistic and liking to uh, uh, mess with me anyway, he just is like, no, no, not at all. You're 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 horrific. <laughs> you're a horrific father. But, uh, you know, the second later, he uh, he did say, yes, of course you are. You know, and my daughter uh, concurred with that. So that made uh, me happy. 
Yeah, that's great. And that's and, and some I guess it's interesting to ask that question to to dads of different aged kids. So I, what I've found is that if I ask that question to a dad that has a younger kid, they they tend to be like, I don't know or not want right, to answer right. it. Whereas as I think dads with older kids uh, have you know a better time answering that question and saying yeah, and the reason is because their kids have told them that. And so. What what kind of makes you a rad dad? You, you kind of mentioned already you being devoted to your kids. What what does that look like to you? Well, I think I think what it means, you know, um, I guess my my view of parenting has always been, um, you know, acceptance of of whatever my kids uh, are going to turn out to be and what they want to be, and encouraging them to um, to pursue whatever they're. Uh, loves in life are and their passions and to encourage them and to uh, you know I, I didn't, never had kids um, uh, expecting them to you know I was going to mold them into what I wanted them to be I, I just wanted to give my kids the um, I wanted to teach them I wanted to help them uh, learn the skills they needed in life to cope with the world and I wanted them to um, have the means to be able to chase their dreams whatever those are going to be so I think from that standpoint, also, I, you know, of course, my kids do have uh, struggles they've dealt with uh, throughout their lives um, with autism and mental health issues. And uh, I have been a very, very um, strong advocate for my kids throughout their education, uh, throughout everything they've uh, been involved with, um, you know, just to make sure that the um, accommodations that they needed were in place for them. Uh, you know, not to the point where, you know, you're trying to smother anything or smother your kids or anything, but at the point where, you know, because of the challenges they have, they have some great difficulties that that a uh, a person who doesn't have those issues wouldn't face. So my uh, my way of um, dealing with that was to be very, you know, like I, I established, uh, and I thought about, I want to include my wife here because my wife right. alongside me, you know, I have a fantastic relationship with my wife uh, we've been married for uh 21 years and right. okay. uh, yeah we have we have a real solid connection and we have a great connection with our belief in how to parent our kids so she's alongside me doing the same things that i'm talking about here okay well on that you know jump around here do you think that dads and moms have different roles serve different purposes in raising children well it certainly evolved that way in my family i mean um you know, it, it just it just has I think personality differences um, probably play a bigger role in that uh, than gender differences. And uh, you know, so in our family, in our house, I am a very uh, you know um, I, I guess I'm like like a typical alpha male type of personality. I'm a type A personality. I'm pragmatic. I'm I'm always focusing on uh, you know. Uh, solving problems and, and my wife is a very nurturing type of person very um, uh, you know uh, more of the type like, like for example how we would approach advocating for our kids I would probably do most of the, the talking in, in meetings where those things were being done um, however my wife would be you know uh, invited to share her thoughts uh, they're kind of funny those meetings because she just tended to agree with we always had the conversation before we have a meeting anyway on what was going to be said and she would uh, sit in the meetings and not say a whole lot. And then, you know, I would always ask if there was anything I didn't say that needed to be said. Um, and 99% of the time, Rose would just say, uh, no, no, I'm good. Everything you said is exactly what how I feel. So um, 
people might have taken that to mean that I was, you know, doing everything, but that's not what was happening. It was just that uh, I'm the vocal type. So to your original question, do, uh, you know, uh, mothers and fathers have different um, roles? I, I think it depends on the personalities. Uh, you know, I've, yeah. I've met some, some families where the roles that I take on would be taken on by the mother and uh, vice versa. So I don't think it really uh, has to be uh, one parent's role, uh, you know, in any situation. Right. So it's not really, I, I guess maybe I, why I asked that question is more just curiosity of my part. I'm a science teacher, so I'm always kind of curious if there's this like biological aspect or difference between moms and dads that's, uh, you know, as me being a relatively new dad, kind of, it's, it's just kind of curious to me. And so I always wonder. What well, I think that, think about yeah, that. You, know, you know, when you say that, I, know, I think that most, most of the time, most of the time in my experience, the fathers are more of the disciplinarians in the in the family, um, but that doesn't mean that it's it has to be their role. But it just right. seems like that's that's how it's uh, played out. Um, I know that some of these questions were actually asked of my kids when they were at school, um, you know, years ago when they were younger, and some of these things were asked about the role of mother and father. And um, they also uh, said that. Kids in her class largely agreed that it was the father in the house that was the the, the one who was responsible for the discipline and that kind of thing. And um, you know, so it just maybe maybe there is something to that. But you know, I I like to I just think uh, personalities are the the biggest factor. Right. What are some of the traits you think make one a, a rad dad? Well, I think you have to be proud to have uh, children. I think you um, understand that your children are a, a gift, are treasures. Um, they are individuals, and they should be respected the same as any other human being. And you don't have to become a certain age to, to, to uh, deserve respect. Respect uh, should be given to people uh, at all times, regardless of age. Because if you teach people that and you treat people with respect, you will get it back. And, uh, you know, I would say that um, that's really critical from my viewpoint. Uh, and um, taking an active interest when kids are growing up. Sometimes kids want to do things that that uh, may not be um, that interesting to you. Like, you know, your kid might want you to play with them uh, with, with, with some toy or something that's boring you or whatever. But, you know, you, you, you try to get past that and try to have fun with it and try to become, uh, you know, you, you just, when you're spending time with your kids, you understand that you're doing something that's important um, for your kids and important for you, too, because uh, your kids are, are so important to you. So you, nothing is no time spent with your kids is a waste of time is what I'm trying to get at. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're, you're with your kids, um, you know, I think that's, you know, how I see it. Also, um, you know, loving to be with your kids, missing your kids. And, uh, uh, you know, like I say, wanting them, uh, you know, wanting to uh, have them uh, as part of your life, uh, you know, not seeing them as a burden. I mean, over the years, there were some things that really annoyed me that I, I would hear from parents um, you know, in different situations we were in, whether we were in some, some uh, group where there were parents involved or whatever, you know, I never really, and this is my opinion, right? I'm not saying that it's yeah. obvious to think this way, of course, but this is how I see these things anyway. Maybe it's a bit different than the average person. But when I would hear uh, people, and it was almost always the, the mothers, and I understand they have a different job in some cases, but 
talking about how they need to get away from their kids. They need a break. They need to get away from the kids. Get away from the kids. I hear this and I just like, well, wow, you don't see your kids the way I see my kids. I, I just, I just how I, I just, wow, my my kids to me are. I don't need a break from my kids. I I, I I would like to find more time to to be with them. You know, probably my kids might want a break from me after a while, but um, <laughs> I don't think that's you know. But but I mean, my thing is, I just never could could picture my children as a burden that I need to take a break from. Um, and when I hear people talk like that, I, I always thought uh, another thing that really got me that I never cared for was this idea of um, adults are talking, so kids aren't supposed to be allowed to have a comment or a thought. Um, or, you know, this is an adult conversation, you know, you get that. I don't know if you get that from some people in my age group, but I remember, uh, you know, uh, one time we were around this older person who was making that comment. Not that I'm that young. I'm 55. So I'm <laughs> yeah. But, you know, somebody was making a comment and, and my daughter uh, spoke up and said something, shared it. And then, you know, this lady said to her, well, you know, this is an adult conversation, dear. You don't really need to share your thoughts here. And I was just horrified and angry by that and um i i remember afterwards talking to my daughter and telling her you know i don't think that way at all i think that was horrible what was just said to you and uh, um so i don't like that idea that that you know i mean people might think well, there's age appropriate conversations and maybe there is and uh, but but having said that i just i don't like i don't like denigrating people's self-respect i don't like cutting into people's self-esteem. And I think kids' self-esteem is very important. And I think it can really be taken down by people who don't remember what it was like to be a kid. And there are a lot of people out there like that. And those people, um, you know, I really don't have a lot of use for in terms of uh, having kids around them. If, if you don't remember what it was like to be a kid and you have no empathy or no understanding for what they go through, uh, you know, people that's you know, people talk about how great it was to be a kid or kids have all the, the best life. That's not true. Kids go through a lot of difficult things. Kids have being a kid is tough. And, you know, a lot of people I don't know who these people are that don't think that it was it was a struggle to grow up. I don't know who those people are, but they, they, <laughs> yeah, lived, a charmed, they lived a charmed life. I guess so. I don't know. I hate it. <laughs> or else they have a terrible memory. Um, a convenient memory. Do you, do you think it's a it's a it's different now, like with the rise of say social media and things like that? Do you think it's more difficult to be a kid? I think it was always difficult to be a kid. I think it was difficult yeah. to be a kid growing up in, in my era. I think it was difficult to be a kid growing up in any era. Um, this era is more challenging in different ways. It's a, it's a different kind of uh, uh, pressure. Um, it is a big problem that a lot of young people feel like they're a slave to their phone. They don't call it that way. They just are. They, they, they're always checking their, their phones to, to, you know, like my daughter has this issue, you know, and I, I can't, I can only say so much, you know, before she gets aggravated with me, but you know, her phone is constantly ding, 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 ding. It's like, it never stops with people messaging her or, or notifying her or something. And, you know, it's overwhelming. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good idea to, figure out a way to take a break from that. I mean, people need a chance to just um, deal with what's around them, their immediate environment, as opposed to always being tapped on the shoulder. So yeah, that's a tough thing, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it makes it harder than it was back in the day. There was different issues mm -hmm. that we, we dealt with, you know, growing up. I grew up in the 1970s. That was pretty much, um, you know, I would have been, uh, 
I would have been six years old in 1970. So most of my growing up took place in the 1970s. And, you know, there were different issues that took place then. What are some of the most rewarding or, I guess, interesting aspects of being a dad? Most rewarding is seeing your kids um, be in a place where they are happy, seeing your kids uh, enjoying their life on some level, and uh, seeing the results of how you raise them. And there were many milestones or, or you know things that came up over the course of my kids growing up that made me feel like, uh, wow, you know, I'm so glad we handled them this way growing up because I, I see what a fantastic person this is and how they, you know, how they uh, reason things and how they look at things. And, and I can see my influence and, and my wife's influence on them. Um, so, you know, I, I really, that's probably one of the, well, that's really the ultimate thing for me is to see the effect the positive effects that my uh, parenting had on my kids and knowing the security that they feel having parents like us. I think, I think that's just been a great thing. Um, you know, to know that your kids feel like very secure. They feel like they've got somebody to turn to when they're in a, any kind of situation, you remove that feeling of desperation from them by, by being that way. And, uh, I feel like that's uh, something that's really gratifying. Nice. And then, so how, how does it relate to, you said seeing your, your kids be happy and then you talked about like pursuing their passions. Do you, do you feel that you model that with being in, in Razor and it, it's been a band that's been going for such a long time and it, it obviously it's a passion of yours and does that rub off on your kid? Well, I, I would hope it does. I mean, the main thing is, is my kids have completely different goals. Uh, you, know, you know, neither one of them wants to be a musician. Although, if they had wanted to be, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have discouraged that. Um, right. You know, and that that is a, a difference too. Because my dad was a musician, and he was successful. I, I have to uh, work on saying successful. He was a <laughs> successful musician, um, but he always told me as a kid, "Don't become a musician. It's 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 terrible life." He always told me that. You know, it was like, well, it didn't discourage me. You know, but. Um, I, I never understood why he, he, he told me that. I mean, I think I understood because I think he was trying to uh, protect me in a way because he, he, he thought that there's a lot of struggle that's required to be successful as a musician. And, and, and if you can't get to a certain level, you can't make enough of a living. So it could be a tough life. But, um, you know, but still, I mean, I think if my kids felt like that's what they wanted to do, I would have uh, I would have supported it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, my kids, like, like my son, is into um, things like uh, transportation, he, he's driving, he loves to drive, um, he's interested in gardening, he's interested in farming, he's interested in those kind of things. Um, my daughter, uh, she's going to become a hairdresser, that's what she's working on, she's going to school for that. So they're, they're, they're different, um, you know, different paths, but that's the things they wanted to do. Um, and the thing that makes me happy is, is that ultimately what they will be doing is something that they enjoy. And that means that they can, they can earn a living, not hating every day when they have to go to work. Right. And that kind of ties back to having your kids kind of be happy. And I think that. Right. That's really what happens. For... You spend so much time, you spend so much time working. You really want to choose a career that allows you to, um, you know, do something you enjoy so that it doesn't feel like it's uh, a day-to-day -day grind. Right, right. In what ways has fatherhood changed you? Oh, it's changed me a ton. I, I, I mean, before I had kids, before I got married, when I was in my 20s, I, I used to say, I'll never have kids. And 
kids used to annoy me. Um, um, you know, you'd be on a, a, a plane or you'd be at a theater or something. You hear a kid crying and you'd go, oh, I wish that kid would shut up. He's driving me nuts. This kind of stuff, you know, um, real, like really no tolerance. And um, that having kids teaches you a bunch of things. One of the things uh, it taught me was, well, tolerance was a big one. You know, you, you learn that uh, you better get a thicker skin, uh, you know, to, to deal with this stuff. And um, I understood kids. I started to understand kids by having kids. And it made me uh, love all kids and care about them, care about all kids. And it made me realize, you know, when I go out somewhere and somebody's crying or something, well, you know, there's a reason behind that crying, you know, that maybe, you know, you, you don't, I don't know. And there's no reason for me to be just judging and complaining about the noise. Maybe there's something else going on there. Or, you know, maybe somebody's tired or somebody's hungry or somebody wants to go home or whatever it is. Um, there's there's something going on there. And um, so much more empathy for the kids and the parents who are dealing with the kids. Um, you know, you also learn that kids are individuals. You'll learn that one way or another. You can be one of those parents who tells your kids what to do all the time. And eventually someday in life, they're just going to stop listening to you when they when they get old enough. And they'll do whatever they want. And then your opinion and your feelings won't have much credibility or much effect on them. You can be one of those parents. Or you can be a parent who uh, tells your kids, um, you know, that um, they um, – I'm losing my train of thought. I, I just went off about the parents who, who tell their kids what to do. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And then okay. The now I remember. Okay. Or you can be more of the, of the standpoint where you treat your kids like a – um, an individual who has their own thoughts and own needs and uh, encourage them to think independently and to not necessarily agree with everything you say unless they really feel it. And, you know, you just show them respect. And by showing them respect, they, uh, they ultimately, I feel, um, care more about what you have to say because they know that you care about their feelings. You care about their thoughts. And if you show them that respect and you do care about those things, you will find, at least in my experience, that a lot more often they are really not out to disappoint you. They don't want to do it. My kids, both of my kids, I, I, I don't have to ask them. I can just tell by the way they conduct themselves that one of the worst things for them would be to feel like they really disappointed uh, mom or dad. Absolutely. That's just something that they don't want to do. Yeah, and and, it, um, and sometimes it serves as a check to well, at least in my my experience, like a, as a check to me as well. So, for example, I I coach my son's hockey team, so he's seven, turning eight, and there's been times where I've maybe been a bit too stern with him, and then it's like, oh, like I had to like totally check myself, and it's it's changed how I interact with him, you know, on at the at the rink because yeah, he's not there to disappoint me. He wants he's trying his best, and if I don't think that or I get on him for making a bad play or whatever you can see like in his eyes that he's about to cry or disappoint. I, I feel terrible. Like at least. Right. Right. I mean, making a bad play, right. I mean, you know, yeah. like, I mean, uh, would be better to, to talk to him about what to do to do, to make that play better for him. Right. How to get a better yeah. result, give him some, give him some pointers and, uh, you know, tell him what he did. Right. I mean, I'm not telling you that like, I'm, oh, no, yeah, I'm just putting it out there. Right. Like, that's yeah. Right. Let's let's talk about what you did right as well as what you might not have done right in that situation. Right. And uh, next time, maybe we do it this way and, you know, try to hammer home the point that maybe that'll get you a better result. That's that's probably uh, how I would think about that. That's that's kind of how I approach things with my kids. Certainly, my kids disappointed me over the years, and I'm not here telling you we didn't. I mean, we go through all, we've been through a lot of hard times in my family. I had cancer in 2012. We had to deal with that. Um, you know, my just 
my son was not diagnosed as autistic until he was nine. So there was, you know, kindergarten through grade three where we, he, we didn't know what was happening. I didn't know anything about autism. Absolutely right. nothing. Now wow. I would consider myself close to an authority on it from all the years and all the uh, things that I have, uh, uh, you know, immersed myself in learning about it. But um, just, just, you know, stuff like that. So there's been tough times in my family and it's it just, uh, I think, Parenting our kids the way we did made things a lot better for us in those situations than it could have been if we were heavy-handed and dictatorial about things. On that note, like telling kids, like how do you, how do what does the conversation look like at the dinner table? Is it, you know, being frank about yeah. things? Is it is it not skirting the issue? You you kind of mentioned you. Know, when you were talking about the idea of adult conversations, I've had friends who say, you know, kids are to be seen and not be heard. And it's just, yeah, right. That's that, that, that mentality, right? Yeah. Right. And if, so, you know, a lot of people can't get past what their parents, how their parents raised them or what their parents taught them. And, you know, they say, well, you know, this is how I was raised. It was good enough for me. It's good enough for them. Well, did you, how did you feel as a kid when you were raised like that? Did you like that? Was that effective? Do you value and listen to everything your parents tell you uh, if you were raised in a manner where everything was heavy handed? I mean, some people will say, yes, I did. Well, okay, well, then good for you. That worked for you. But that doesn't work for a lot of people. Your mm -hmm. question about the dinner table. So here's an example. There is no dinner table in my family because my autistic son couldn't sit at the dinner table because he can't handle the sensory issues that hit him from the smells of food that he doesn't like. So, um, you know, my son never ate with us, was never able to eat with us. And um, instead of us trying to force him to, you know, which I think would have been a terrible mistake, we, um, we gave him an area, a different area, a different room to eat it. And we actually had our house renovated. I had to have doors put on my kitchen and uh, doors put on some different rooms in my house to uh, keep my son from smelling things that, that made him feel very sick. And um, not because he had allergies. It's not, that's not what it is. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a sensory overload that makes him feel so nauseous that the only alternative for him would be to go up to a room, darken everything, and lie there for hours in misery. So, you know, we weren't going to allow that. So there, there, there is no real dinner table. Things became informal in my house because that was the best way for my house to run. Oh, great. Are you familiar with the show Atypical on Netflix? Uh, what's the name of the show? Atypical. No, I'm not, but I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that has something to do with the spectrum just by the title. Yeah, so so it's basically a, a, a show about a family and the son is uh, yeah he's he's on the spectrum and so it's kind mm -hmm. of told from his point of view and oh and, well and, I would have to check that out okay yeah, so yeah you should I, and I was the reason I was going to ask that I was just curious about your opinion and whether it those sorts of shows do you do you, are you supportive of those sorts of shows like the, oh absolutely brought, sure I absolutely brought, anything that, that would increase yeah yeah anything that would increase people's uh, understanding of autism I'm in favor of any in mental health in general. Because the one thing about autism that, that people need to know is that it isn't the same across the board with people. Autism affects people in so many different ways, and the same diagnosis can be on a person. Let's say it's Asperger's syndrome, okay, uh, which is one of the, you know, was on the autism spectrum. I don't know if it's still on or not because, you know, the medical community has been trying to uh, uh, make changes. Not the medical, the government has been trying to make changes to try and um, – 
exclude people so that they don't have to commit more financial resources to it, which I think is disgusting, but that's another conversation. (laughs) But, um, but what's happening is, is, um, you know, uh, you, anytime you have an opportunity for people to learn something about what it is, right. My, my description to people, which I, I think covers a lot of autism is just, um, it is, if you take your, your main senses, your, your smell, taste, uh, uh, touch, you know, um, hearing everything, and uh, you know, sensitivities to light, sensitivities to temperatures, sensitivities to food, to smells, to environments, um, to crowd, to noise, and you just say, you know, put them all out of whack in ways that they're affecting you in ways that it just like it sounds like maybe the volume sounds like it's on 11 out of 10 for you when it's really a low sound, but for this this autistic person, it's just killing them, you know. These kind of things, it's just sensory uh, issues going out of control and can be very different in each person. Um, mm. You know, a social anxiety and social interaction problems, inability to hold eye contact. Well, then why do they have to hold eye contact? Like, if they, if they don't want to hold eye contact, why would somebody force them to? And I had a teacher who tried to force my son to make eye contact, and she got, I gave her a serious dressing down. And I did it right in front of the principal, too, because I was very angry at the way she was interacting with him because she was a teacher who didn't get it. And um, that's another conversation. And you're being a school teacher. I have to tell you, in Ontario, my experience was over going through the, the, um, um, the school system and my kids' life that um, I found about 20% of the teachers that we worked with to be heroic, fantastic teachers. And unfortunately, that leaves 80% that were absolutely not. And some of the worst teachers that we encountered were the ones who told us that they had all this special education training. Um, you know, and, and I encountered some, some crappy principals and some good ones. Um, and eventually, I ended up in the office of the Director of Education for Wellington County, which is uh, the person who's the highest level authority before you get to the Minister of Education in my province. Um, and that's who I dealt with to get my accommodations in place for my kids because I just ran into too many people who were not getting uh, the understanding of the issue. They expected the accommodation to come from my son. They didn't do the accommodating. They wanted him to do all the accommodating. He wasn't capable. He wasn't capable. But they weren't understanding that. They, they, you know, every idea or solution that they were proposing was he has to change how he does things. Well, he can't do that. That's why he has this problem. But we who don't have these issues can do something about it. And again, I say 20% of the people were heroic. I had one principal who was so fantastic, and he was in my son's high school. And then they transferred him out, and that's what finally brought me to the director of education because I, I had enough of the – they were moving teachers and principals around all the time. And, you know, it is such a huge learning curve to teach a new teacher about your individual son's special circumstances. Because you can say he's autistic. That doesn't come close to describing his special circumstances. And as soon as you get a, a relationship going with somebody, the Board of Education was transferring them to a different school. So it just got ridiculous. And it got to the point where I had to go to the very top to get to get it sorted out because, um, and I feel bad that I know a lot of parents wouldn't wouldn't put that time and energy in. They would they would get frustrated and just deal with what they have. But you know, it's not everybody's uh, cup of tea to go and and be willing to push that like that. But uh, I was determined to do it.
Yeah, kudos so, so. to you. Like, I, I'd I'd consider yourself a advocate, and like being in, in education, I've seen that too. Like, where um, you know kids get kind of pushed under the rug in a, in a sense if you don't have someone advocating for you. And I actually work at an outreach school, so I've you know I I worked I I taught high level physics for a long time, so I didn't really have to or had the opportunity to have you know students. Um, I guess with autism really in my class, it just wasn't part of my life, but I've, I've moved recently to an outreach school where I deal with a lot of kids uh, that, you know, deal with addiction issues, mental health issues, uh, and they just don't get the support at like a traditional school and uh, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> well, you know, some of the teachers who I, who I branded as, as, as not, not doing a good job in this area, uh, weren't it had nothing to do with the, the you know, that they didn't know anything about the issues. They didn't know anything about the issues, but it was their approach. I mean, if you don't know something about somebody, don't assume that you have the answers. Then, okay, like seek the information and be open-minded and try to work with the person. That's what I'm looking for. You know, there was a lot of uh, rigid thinking going on that that wasn't you know you know or what I call cement-headed, and it was just not gonna you know it wasn't gonna work. And I had some situations over the course of my kids' uh, school life where uh, there were some years where I just said, "Okay, you're not going, and you're not going to school, Chris, until we sort this out." Okay, there's a problem; they don't understand it. They're not working with you until it's sorted out. You're staying home, and I there were times when he stayed home for up to a couple of weeks until I got it sorted out. And um, uh, you know, it could be just one or two people because my son, of course, was working with. EAs, educational assistants. Mm-hmm. He was working with um, the teacher, the educational assistants. He was working with a youth worker who was in the school. And again, I don't know what happens in Alberta, but I can tell you in Ontario, I think we need to do a better job of identifying the right people for the job of youth worker because we've got some people there who are there simply because it's a, it pays them decently and they get the summer off and they clearly aren't they aren't good at it. They aren't they aren't interested in the kids. They're interested in taking training courses and finding other things to do than to support the kids. Um, having kids with special needs, I also know other families of kids with special needs. Um, so it's not just all coming, it's not just my story, it's, you know, comparing notes. My son has a very uh, small group of friends, which is, again, being autistic, he he hasn't, um, uh, you know, there's a, been that was a challenge for him over the years, but he does have one really good friend who is another kid with special needs, and they compare notes. And, you know, um, again, we had some uh, experiences where the youth workers who were supposed to be supporting uh, the kids with special needs were just invisible. And uh, if they're not working with the kids with special needs, then why are they? Why are they there? What are they doing? What are they doing for their money? I mean, if you you're off, you know, oh my God, I I, I, I can feel my I can feel the, the hair on my arms getting because uh, uh, I'm thinking about this one situation that aggravated me beyond belief. This youth worker who came to my son's school when he was in grade seven came in, introduced himself to us. First meeting was great. Thought he was going to do a great job helping my son um, with some 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 things because my son, just as the nature of his autism, he needed a break over the course of the day. He couldn't he couldn't focus the whole day. He needed a break. So the youth worker's job was just to come and lighten the mood for him for about ten minutes every couple of hours so he could get through his day. Well, we had a fantastic youth worker the year before in sixth grade, and my son's elementary school went from kindergarten to grade eight, so it was all the same school. But he got transferred out, as I explained before about all this transferring stuff. They brought a new guy in, and this new guy 
which I wasn't happy about because we'd worked with the previous guy for years and he had been fantastic, but they took him out. So um, got a new guy, had a meeting with him, seemed to go well. Then for the rest, this was in September, for the rest of the year between September till about May, my son saw this guy maybe three or four times. Oh, wow. He was supposed to see him, was supposed to see him <laughs> three or four day. times a day. <laughs> and he saw him three or four times over the course of that. This guy was always in training. He was always tra- and he always had this program he was going to work on. He had this big, huge program he was going to put together for the kids. It was going to be so fantastic. And he was working on it all year and training all year. He didn't do anything for my kids. Then in May, he launched this program. And then the following year, he was in training again. And I, I just... Uh, I, I just, I, mean, I think this guy's still working here. Uh, I mean, you know, no offense, but that guy should be canned. He should be fired. Why should he be taking a salary and doing nothing for the kids? So anyway, yeah, that kind of stuff really drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, I can feel the passion. Let's change it up. Did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Um, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a beeping going on. Somebody's trying to call me, and they're not supposed to be, so I'll just uh, give them a little decline here. Um, did I have any fears about being a dad? Yeah. Is that, is that the question? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, of course. Um, you know, um, I didn't know, uh, uh, I didn't know, well, I was, I was ready for kids, because I did, I, I got married um, in my early 30s, and, uh, you know, I had uh, uh, had a change of heart, as I, around the time I turned 30, I had a change of heart from, from not wanting kids and not wanting any of that to, to thinking, you know, I mm-hmm. kind of think I have something to offer kids now that I didn't have before. I mean, uh, um, one of the things was, was that financially was in better shape and, and that was important because I didn't want to have kids if I didn't think we had the financial means to, 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 you know, help them with whatever we needed to. So it was that, but, but, um, I, I still had concerns about, you know, uh, I didn't think I'd ever be able to even change a diaper. I got to be honest with you. There was stuff like that that I go, oh, I can't. I don't know if I could do that out of this. You know, kids crying kind of gets 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 on my nerves. You know what? Once once my son was born, and um, you know, and I was holding him, and um, he was born by C-section, and I was in the room when he was taken out, and he was handed to me in a helmet, just you know. And uh, I don't know, something just kind of hit me at that moment. Um, not that it wasn't there before, but at that moment, I said, you know, everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You know, um, just what felt you, that What do you way. think that is? You have been, you're I, not I really the first dad to that. say that, that kind of that moment that you hold your, your child yeah, for the first time. Yeah. Just, I don't know. You, just, you hold them and you, you feel, you know, you, you know, you realize that this this uh, baby, is this infant you're holding, you're, you're everything to this infant and um you're going to you know how you handle that situation another person's entire life is going to depend on that and um i don't know you just feel like um i don't know how everybody else feels it depends on the person but as me it hit me in a way where i was just like um that's going to be fine that's i'm more i i'm so happy to to be able to to, uh, do this i'm so happy to be in an opportunity to do this and I just felt very lucky at that moment. Right. Describe the relationship with your dad. Well, my dad was a good guy. He's not around anymore. He's, he's uh, died in 2006. He was a Sorry he was that. a uh, popular musician. He was a keyboardist. He made records and he traveled all over the world too. Um, he uh, worked in television for a lot of years before he started traveling a lot. Different dynamics than my my family. My 
unfortunately, my uh, my my uh, growing up wasn't as uh, pleasant. My father and my mother did not get along. It was uh, I don't know. I don't know what brought them together, but I know that they weren't, they didn't enjoy each other's company very much. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of uh, um, uh, difficulty in the house growing up. And my, uh, uh, my father uh, took a job, he left television and took a job traveling um, as a musician to just basically, he wanted to see his kids. My dad was very devoted to his kids, loved his kids. And a lot of my, uh, I think a lot of my uh, qualities that, that are down that uh um, you know that down that road are my father's. Okay, like I think he he put he delivered those to me. That love for your kids, passion. He took a job traveling because he didn't want to uh, split up because he wanted to have uh, his kids in his life, and he felt like if he didn't, if he if he left, um, or if they had split up, he was going to lose access to his kids. So he uh, took a job traveling. The bad part of that was he wasn't around that much, but he was around enough that he had his kids in his life, right? He'd see us every couple yeah. of weeks. Exactly. So it was that, that, that was basically how it was. My father was a lovely guy. He was very passionate about things. Um, you know, being a musician, that kind of goes with the territory. Um, brilliant man on many levels, not just, uh, you know, his musical talent, but just like, uh, um, I don't know if he's ever tested, but I'm pretty sure he had, must've had a genius level IQ because he solved some amazing problems. He could do, he could do some pretty impressive things. Um, he was a uh, fun guy to be around. He had a great sense of humor. Um, he loved to be with his kids. He took us on trips. If he could, he could take, he would take us on some of his trips. So I got to go to some places, uh, uh, you know, in the world with him. He took me on trips when he was performing. Um, I got to be backstage and watch him perform. Probably part of what, you know, got me interested in doing what I do. Um, and, uh, you know, those are the things that I remember about him. That's the things that I remember the most about him. Um, and, you know, as we got older, he would always complain that we didn't see him enough. And I understand that. He lived in Toronto, and we were, were Guelph is about an hour away, so it wasn't always easy to go down there and see him. Um, but I am quite proud of the fact that I, you know, recognized as he was getting older, I felt like I made, made, I made time to go down there and see him and spend time with him and hang out and have a good time. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any regrets about, um, you know, I mean, it's sad that you lose a parent, but I don't have any regrets because I know that I, uh, I took those extra steps to spend time with him over the last 10 years of his life. So, uh, yeah, that's, that would be some of my dad. I'm very, I'm really very fond of my dad. I like I, I love it. I love it. I like it. Yeah. 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 And I tell my, I tell my kids about my dad. All Hear the, the time. smile. Yeah, I, my kids are always hearing stories about my dad, and I really wish my dad had been around. Like they were younger, my son was six, my daughter was only uh, four and a half or so when we lost him. So they got to see him, they knew who he was, and they, you know, but they and they they recognized the qualities I talk about, but they never got as much of a chance. Like I mean, it would have been so nice for him if he was still around now for my my son because they are interested in a lot of the same things. So my dad loved cars, my son loves cars, and. My dad owned a lot of cool sports cars when he was younger, growing up, and he could have talked to Chris about those things. It would have been nice. Yeah, sweet. Shifting it up a little, uh, topic future for Razor. What's what's on the horizon? Razor. Okay, yeah. Um, well, we're making a new album. I'm working on it right now, actually, and I mean working on it as in I uh, did this interview uh, in between the session. I'm actually uh, making the album right now as we speak. And I'll go back to that after we're done talking, actually. Oh, great. <laughs> um, so that album is going to come out probably late spring. It takes a little longer to make records than it used to because we're, we don't move as quickly as we used to. Um, <laughs> last album we did was in 1997. 
So the new album is coming. Um, this new album I really am excited about because um, the one we made in 1997, you know, long story, but I wasn't as as really committed or interested in what we were doing at that time because um, the the music scene wasn't as uh, wasn't as uh, the excitement level is just so much higher now than it was back then for our style of music. It really came back, and I think the internet is what brought it back. Um, but this album is really, I think, highly anticipated by by Razor fans. So I'm looking forward to it. I've put a lot of effort into this quality of this record and the quality of the songwriting. And I'm trying to put in an album out that I really believe that Razor fans are really going to love. So I'm excited about it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've been getting a lot of people on the internet, you know, complaining about how long it's taking. And uh, <laughs> you know, my my apologies for that. But we're getting there. We're getting there. It's going to be out. Um, there were delays. Some of it was we had a couple of personnel changes that, that we had to take care of. And uh, I had a health issue in, in 2017 as well that, that wiped out. Um, we were supposed to record this album in 2017, but because of the health issues that I had um, when I came back from a trip to South America, I, I had a whole bunch of stuff. I was sick for like about nine months. So, oh, no. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, I had uh, I had something called Bell's palsy. Half my face was paralyzed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. And then I got shingles, and that took out about five months. It was I've had day. shingles. That's the worst. Oh, I, have yeah, that. I would not I, wish that on anyone. I know exactly right. uh, the pain that you went through. <laughs> yeah, so... That that made it so I wasn't in the state to be making a record. So that yeah. took that away. And then we made some changes with our drummer um, at the end of 2018. So we thought we were going to make the album with the new drummer. And then we went back to the old drummer. We just went back to the old drummer about uh, uh, a month Mike, and a half right? ago. Yeah. Ryder. Ryder Johnson is our drummer. Oh, yeah. Ryder. Sorry, we brought Ryder back. Yeah, oh, okay. Ryder's back. So uh, um, by doing that, we delayed the album again because we wanted Ryder to drum on it. So now, but this time, I think we've got our ourselves in order, and this record is going to get done. Um, well, it's actually it's being worked on right now, so we know it's getting done. Great, and, that's great. Uh, yeah. So that, and then next year we're in Europe a ton. We got so many shows. We're doing some. Uh, we're in Vancouver on May 23rd. I'm there. Uh, I'm coming. With are you? Well, fantastic. Yeah. I hope to meet you then. Yeah, you uh, bet. We're playing with Sacrifice and Exciter. In, uh, it, at the Modified Ghost Festival in the Vancouver on May, I think it's 23rd. Saturday. It's that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the week before that, we're going to be in Spain. And the week after that, we're going to be in Germany. So you get the idea of what's going on with us next year. All right on. That's great. Yeah. A lot of travel. That's good, though. Okay. Uh, dad joke. Do you have one? Uh, dad joke. Oh, boy. Hold on. Dad, dad joke. You know what? I'm going to say I'm stumped at the moment. I'll probably think of one as soon as we say goodbye. So yeah, uh, it always happens. <laughs> if, I, if I do, I'll, I'll email it to you. You can read it to people. Sure, sounds good. Okay, last question then. Any any words of wisdom to any of the rad dads out there listening? Well, first of all, I'm going to say this. If you're a rad dad, then congratulations. I'm a huge fan of good fathers. I think having a good father is really important for a, um, for a person growing up. I think um, if you or growing up and you don't have a father, if you have a father figure of some kind that's important in your life, that, that, that's just as important. Um, but I, I just think that having, having a role model as, as a father and having a committed father is just a fantastic gift to a person growing up. The same way um, a, a, you know, a kid is a, a gift 
to 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 adapt. You know, it's it's the mutual thing, right? It's, it, it treat each other like your um, you know your treasures, because my family are my treasures. I mean, there's nothing I, I that is more important to me than my wife and my kids. And um, you know, I I think that um, any other uh, dad who has those kind of thoughts and thinks that way, um, I really respect you, my friend. I have a lot of respect for you. We'll end it with that, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate uh, taking some time out of your your record making to to chat with me, and I really uh, hope that we could uh, touch base in Vancouver in May. Well, we will, Christian. Uh, just give me your details, and we'll make sure that I I'll make sure that I get you a backstage to meet me, and we'll we'll uh, you know we'll uh, say hello and uh, be nice, and I'll look forward to meeting you then. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I love talking about stuff like this. It's uh, it's important. I think it's uh, very important uh, uh, stuff to, to, to talk about. I think it's really good for the world to uh, have these conversations and for people to have a chance to listen. Thanks. And so do I. And that's kind of why I do it. So.